Genesis. Genesis chapter 22. So you don't have to go far in your Bible. Now, if you're at the back of your Bible, please see me after class, okay? But Genesis uh, chapter 22. While you're, uh, while you're trying to get there, I do want to just let you know, please, ma'am, please, sir, if you need me to repeat something, please raise your hand. Please don't be afraid to just, uh, stop me and ask me uh, to, uh, Brother Hood, could you repeat X, Y, Z? Uh, when you do that, that just makes me happy. That makes me very, very happy. Uh, so please don't be afraid uh, to do that. And as I've said before, uh, there's some of you who, if you want to write it all, great. Uh, but you don't have to write down everything, but just do your best to catch some of the nuggets that come from the text that will be able to help you on your journey and in this walk uh, with Christ. Okay, so please don't be afraid to ask me to either slow down or if you need me to repeat something because you're writing it out or you're texting yourself or whatever the case may be, I'll be more, more than delighted to do that um, as well. So Genesis chapter 22 and when you look at Genesis chapter 22, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2, and I'm going to read that for you uh, very uh, quickly, uh, reading from the New King James Version. So Genesis 22 and verses 1 and 2, and it reads as follows. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Again, God's word for God's people and God's word is um, already uh, blessed. So when you look at your shell of an outline here uh, tonight, uh, you'll find out the title there will talk about this is only a test. This is only a test. So I want you to think about, and you don't, I'm not going to ask you what your test is, what you're going through, and I'm not going to do that, nor will the person beside you or in front of you, they're not going to do that. But I want you to think about your own test. And I want you to think about what it is that you may be going through right now. Because the reason why I say that is because all of us that are sitting in here tonight, we're in one of three categories. Either you're getting ready to go into a test, you're in the middle of a test, or you're coming out of a test. I want you to think about that for a few moments. Whatever that test may be in your personal life, your personal walk with God, you're in one of three categories, and including myself. I haven't left myself out. Either you're getting ready to go in and be tested, you're in the middle of a test already, or you're getting ready to come out of your test. And so when we look at the text tonight, when we think about uh, Abraham, and when you look right there at the very uh, brief introduction uh, that's right there, you think about Abraham, the story of Abraham, and, and I fast forward just a little bit for uh, the sake of time and everything. But when you think about Abraham, and in this particular setting right now in chapter uh, 22, 
And for 25 years, 25 years, Abraham and Sarah have trusted in God's promise. And again, we know uh, the story, or preferably many of you know the story about uh, Abraham and how God has promised him this bouncing uh, baby boy and everything. And the funny thing about God, um, even when Abraham and Sarah didn't think things were going to happen, and they call themselves trying to help God out. And you do realize and understand that, number one, God does not need our help. And anytime we get ahead of God, that's when we mess things up. And Abraham and Sarah got ahead of God, called themselves trying to help God out. And as a result of the plan that Sarah came up with, Ishmael uh, comes about and everything. You have to remember and understand that even though Ishmael did come about, but he was not the promised child. And the thing about God, God waits till Abraham is 99 and Sarah is 90 to have a child. And the Bible tells us that Sarah laughs. And I wonder why she laughs. And so God waits till he's 99 and she's 90. And here comes this bouncing baby boy. But for 25 years, for 25 years, Abraham and Sarah have trusted in God's promise Everything that God has told them to do, they did, except that part there that I just mentioned to you about getting ahead of God, and then Ishmael uh, comes about. But even Ishmael coming about, if you remember the story there, God was still faithful and God was still gracious, even with uh, Ishmael. But nevertheless, now when you fast forward and you think about Abraham, you think about the situation he has, this bouncing baby boy, this promised child that he has now, now he's holding him. He loves him dearly. And I want you to think about your child tonight, your child or your, your grandchild, and how much you truly love them, how dear they are to you, your heart, and everything. And Abraham, in tonight's text, he's holding this bouncing baby boy that he loves so much. And one day, God calls him. God call, not only calls him, but God calls him and has an assignment for him to do. Not just any assignment, but God tells him that he wants him to bring. Now, I want you to think about that for a few moments. I've waited all of these years, God. You promised me this child. Finally got the child, and now you have the nerve, you have the audacity to ask me to bring what you promised me to the mountaintop, and now you want me to kill him. Can you imagine what would be going through, what was going through his mind? And then let me just bring it a little bit closer to home. What would be going through your mind? Your child that you hold so dear to you, or grandchild, and God requests that you bring that child and offer that child, put that child on the altar. What would be going through your mind? Now, I know exactly what would be going through my mind. I'd be like, Lord, are you sure about this? I don't know about that. But when, uh, when you think about Abraham, and I've had people over the years ask me the question, how was Abraham able to do this very thing? How was he able to go ahead and get his son and take his son to the mountaintop knowing what he was getting ready to do? And every time somebody asks me this question, this is my response. 
The reason why Abraham was able to do it is because before he left home, Isaac was already dead to him. He had so much faith in God, and he was so obedient to God that before he left home, Isaac was already dead to him. And that's why he was able to tell his son, come on and let's go. Now, you have to understand and you have to realize at this stage right now in chapter 22 of Genesis, Isaac is not a baby. He's a young man. He is a young man. I forgot about the age, uh, the exact age, but nevertheless, he's not a baby anymore. He's a young man, and we'll talk a little bit more about that and uh, some of these points here in just a, uh, in just a few moments. But Abraham... Abraham was able to do this act because not only of his faith, as I just mentioned, in God, but in his mind before he left home, Isaac was already dead to him. Before he left the house, he was determined to do what God said do. Now, think about it. He's in the middle. He's being tested, and he's uncomfortable. And yet, even though he's uncomfortable, he's still determined to do what it is that God has asked him to do. Are you like that tonight? In the midst of your testing, no matter how uncomfortable you may be, it could be failing health, it could be children, it could be bills, it could be whatever the case may be. In the midst of your test, are you still determined to do what it is that God has requested you to do? And so the only way that you and I can do the impossible is to believe God before we leave home. If we're going to do the impossible, the only way that we can do the impossible, we have to be like Abraham tonight. If we're going to do the impossible, we have to believe God before we leave the house. Before you get out of your car, before you even get out of your bed, before you leave the confines of your home, you truly have got to believe God. And I'm not just talking about you love God. Great. And I'm glad that you love God. And I love God too. But God is asking you to do something. God is asking you to give up something. And I don't know what that something is tonight. All I can tell you is what he's asked Abraham to do tonight. But whatever that is that, is, that God is asking you to give up or depart from or separate yourself from and even though it may seem like it's impossible just like it was for Abraham in the text tonight do you actually believe God before you leave do you truly believe God that he is going to be faithful he's going to be just and even though you may not know how he is going to work it out but you believe wholeheartedly that God will truly work it out and so we have to understand and we have to realize, like Abraham did in the text tonight, Abraham realized that he was in God's hands. And so since he was in God's hands, he must trust God also with his future. And brothers and sisters, tonight we have to have that same attitude. I encourage you, I even challenge you to have that same attitude in the midst of your test, whether you're getting ready to be tested, you're in the middle of a test, or even if you're coming out of your test, 
realize, understand, know that we're in God's hands. We've always been in God's hands. And so since we're in God's hands, we have to learn to trust God with our future. And so too often when we look at the text tonight, too often when this text is read, when people read these verses, too often many people approach this story as if God is on trial. But I challenge you to go back and reread the text because God is not on trial. God's character is not in question. But it is Abraham's character that is on trial tonight. Again, when you go back, when you read and reread, God is not the one that's on trial. And I hear people, preachers, preach from this text. I hear teachers who teach from this text. And if they're not careful, you'll get an understanding, you'll get the impression that God is the one that's on trial. And yet I challenge you to go back and reread because God is not on trial. His character is not even on trial, but it is Abraham who is the one that is on the stand <clears throat> this evening. And so when you, when you look at that, when uh, you think about that, and again, he's on trial, and God is letting him know this is only a test. Now, when you think about tonight's title, that this is only a test. Now, I'm not going to ask you your age, okay? I would not dare do that. But I want you to think about something. If you are familiar with the year starting in 1963 to 1997, I want you to think about this. CBS and NBC. And so often there was somebody who would come on the TV screen and said, this is a test from the emergency broadcast system. Do you remember that? Would some of y'all nod your head? So I know I'm not the only one that, remember, that remembers that. And so uh, this annoying noise would come on across, you know, if, if y'all will allow me to say that. And maybe it didn't sound like that. I don't know. But I do, I do remember that it was annoying. And so, but the, the person who was talking would always say, this is only a test. If it had have been something real, then he went into X, Y, Z and what you'd have to do and everything. But I said all of that to say this, that when we're looking at this and when we think about Abraham, and God is showing Abraham this is only a test. So why is this so significant? Because whatever it is that you're going through right now, I want to make sure that you understand, just as the man used to come over TV or the, the voice, this is only a test. Whatever you're dealing with, and it may seem like it's going to be forever and a day before it's over with, but I want to assure you tonight that this is only a test. And so when you think about that and when you realize that and, uh, and, you, and you think about this, so um, Abraham here is on the stand. God is not on the stand. And so the text shows us tonight that it's an opportunity, number one, as we go through the points, we'll find out 
It's an opportunity for God to prove himself to us as we read the text, not so much Abraham. And so when you think about that and uh, you begin to realize that the first point, Abraham made a great sacrifice. So he made a great sacrifice, or he's about to make a great sacrifice, I should say. His son who is dear to him. And again, as I challenged you before, you think about what's dear to you. What do you hold close to your heart or whom you hold close and dear to your heart? And Abraham here tonight is about to make this, uh, make this sacrifice. He's about to make a great sacrifice. So, but what I want to show you here tonight and what I want you to be mindful of is that God, God will go after anything that you and I trust more than him. Won't you think about that? We have some things in our life that we hold dear and near to us, whether it's people or even material things that we hold dear to us. But God will go after anything that you and I trust more than him until we are willing to put it on the altar. Won't you think about that now? Whatever it is that you hold dear, God will go after it. God will go after it, especially if you love it or love them or person or things, whatever. If you love it more than you love him, God will go after it until you and I are willing to put it on the altar. You and I have to put, learn to put our marriage. We have to learn to put our children. We have to learn to put our family. Uh, we have to learn to put our checkbooks. We have to learn to put our health. We even have to learn to put our desires on the altar. Because if you're not careful, these very things that I just made mention of, and I could go on and on and on, but for time's sake, I, I can't do that. But if we're not careful, we could love and love our marriage more than we love God. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't leave out of here saying or going back to tell Pastor Wade that Brother Hood said, well, I can't love my husband or my wife. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. But when you allow your husband or wife to stop you from serving God and get in the way of a relationship with God, then that is a problem. Your desires, your wants, your checkbook, even down to your health, and you don't necessarily have to be in bad health, but you can be in good health, and you can be in such good health that you keep passing by this building here because you want to live your own life and you don't have time for God and you're going fishing, you're going hunting, you're going to do this and you're going to do that and you're just going to live life to its fullest. Be careful because God will go after these things until you and I are willing, as Abraham is doing here in the text tonight, until we are willing to put it on the altar. Because if what you and I want and what you and I have and what you and I own and trust in, and if we trust in that more than we trust in God, again, God will go after it. If the gift ever becomes more important than the gift giver, I believe that's worth saying one more time. If the gift ever becomes more important than the gift giver, then 
you have to understand, you have to realize that if the gift becomes more than the gift giver, then the very thing that God gave you and I to serve his purpose in the first place, it begins to undermine his plans for your life and my life. Again, it's all right to have things. It's all right to love your wife. It is okay uh, to love your husband and your children. But not to the point to where you allow them to get or things to get in the way of your relationship with God. Because it begins or they begin to undermine the plans that God has for you in your life. Now, if you don't believe me, let me give you an example as I try to uh, push forward. When you think about Lucifer. Once you think about Lucifer and what you've read about Lucifer, or even what you've heard about Lucifer. Lucifer, who later, as we know, became Satan, was the bright sun of the morning. I mean, he was the bright sun of the morning. God made him beautiful. He was the most beautiful of the archangels. We're talking about Lucifer here. God not only made him more beautiful than all the other angels, but God also gave him a beautiful voice. Because you do know he led what we would call today the choir, the heavenly choir. And God made him beautiful, and God also gave him a beautiful voice. He was the bright sun of the morning. This is Lucifer. But here's what messed Lucifer up. Here's why he ended up falling like he did. It's because one day, he looked at himself in the mirror. And when he looked at himself in the mirror, and again, remember what I just told you. Not only was he beautiful, but he also had a beautiful voice. And when he made the mistake and he looked at himself in the mirror, he thought what he had actually belonged to him. Now, remember, I told you, God made him. God was the one that gave him this beautiful voice. But when he looked at himself in the mirror, he actually had the nerve and the audacity to think that what he had actually belonged to him. He put himself above the one who actually made him. He put himself above the one who actually called him. So you may ask the question, well, why is that so significant? I'm glad you asked tonight. The reason why this is so significant, because the lesson of Lucifer the lessons of Lucifer's fall is this. Whatever you don't turn into praise, it will turn into pride. Whatever you don't turn into praise, it will actually turn into pride. And so what do you mean by that, brotherhood? Whatever God gives you, praise God for it. Thank God for it. Whether he bless you with a better job, finances, good health, children doing right, marriage is going good, great, whatever you want to call it. Give God praise for that. Because if we're not careful, all these things that we start getting, things start happening to us. If we're not careful, we can become just like Lucifer. After a while, we'll begin to have the notion or even think that, we did it ourselves. The reason why I have such a great job is because I worked hard and I went to school and I got my degree and I got my education. Thus, that equals a great job that Brian Hood got. And that is all wrong. 
Now, I'm not saying don't go to school. I'm not saying that education is not important. But what I fail to realize and understand, all those late nights that I had to stay up and take the test and study and do this and do that, if it wasn't for God who loaned me his mind and gave me the strength to do these things, I wouldn't be where I'm at tonight. Can I let you in on a little secret? No matter what it is that you may have or you have already accomplished, if it hadn't been for God, you wouldn't be where you're at right now. And if you don't believe me, think about the Red Sea. I'm going to use two examples, and we're going to move on. I'm keeping up with the time. Think about the Red Sea. Now, when you think about it and you hear the parting of the Red Sea, it really sounds impossible, don't it? On its own, that really is really, it's really not realistic when somebody talks about parting the Red Sea. But when you put God into the equation, the Red Sea parts. When you hear about the wall of Jericho falling down, a wall actually falling down because people just shout on their own, that really doesn't sound realistic. But when you put God into the equation, the wall actually comes tumbling down. I said all that to say, when God is in it, God is the one that makes the difference in your life and in my life. Without God, we cannot do anything. But I did read in the scripture, with God, all things are possible. And so whatever God gives you and I, brothers and sisters, I encourage you, I challenge you to praise him for it. Because when you get possessed by your possessions, your praise will become pride and God will fire you. Now I want you to think about that. When you get possessed by your possessions, your praise turns into pride. And then once that happens, then God will actually fire you. And it's an awful thing for God to fire you and I. It's actually not only an awful thing for God to fire you and I, it's an awful thing to be fired and you still keep coming to work every day. Now, that's horrible. To be fired, don't even know it, and you keep showing up. Again, I can go back to the scripture, and when you think about Samson, God fired Samson, and Samson didn't even know it. God, he fired, not only did he fire him, but God took his spirit from Samson. Took his spirit from Samson, and Samson did not even realize. Wish I had a, more time and I could stay right there, but I can't. But maybe another Wednesday night, I've, I've even got a lesson um, for that uh, particular story. But not for tonight. But uh, again, God fired him. God took his spirit from him, and he did not even realize it. And so tonight, can you identify your Isaac? What's your Isaac tonight? Again, Abraham had to take Isaac, and he was asked to sacrifice him. He was asked to give him up. The boy that he hold near and dear that he loved so much. The very thing that you love and hold dear so much that you don't even think that you can live without. Can you identify your Isaac tonight? And if God was to ask you to separate yourself from that and to give it to him, could you and would you do it? So, no, so anyway, can you identify your Isaac? And so your Isaac could be your job that keeps you from serving God. And again, 
God knows that we have to work. God knows that we have to provide for our family. But when we constantly use our job as an excuse not to serve God, then that's a problem. And that can, if we're not careful, can become our Isaac. Our children can become our Isaac. Wife, husband can become Isaac. So be careful. Whatever your Isaac is, be careful of that. And so he made, he or he was about to make a great sacrifice. But also notice here at point number two, Abraham, he was a great saint. Look right here at the text. Abraham, when you look at the text and you think about the first two verses that was uh, read out to you tonight, Abraham had no idea what God was going to do. Have you ever been in a situation, and it was a very uncomfortable situation, and you didn't know what God was going to do? All you know is that you were very uncomfortable. All you know that it wasn't funny, it didn't feel good, you didn't want to be in that situation, and you didn't know what God was going to do. But notice in the text tonight, without hesitation, Abraham, he got up, he took God at his word, and he took Isaac with him. He was going to give up what he had been waiting for for 99 years. He'd been waiting for this promise for 99 years. And now he got up, told the young boy, his son Isaac, let's go. And he is about to give it up. And again, here's my question for you tonight. What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to give up for the master's sake? And again, here's why I keep asking this question. Here's why it's so important, because you need to remember this. You need to wrap your mind around this concept that I'm about to share with you tonight, that God, God can never give you back what you're not ready to give up. I want you to think about that. God can never give you back what you are not willing to give up. Again, we'll, you will find this out as we continue to go uh, through the text. But when you walk with God, when you trust God and you trust his plans for your life, you begin to understand that, you, that God can never give you back what you're not willing, what I am not willing to give up. So whatever or whomever, I should say, walks out of your life, God will replace it with more than you actually gave up. I want you to think about that. How many of you actually had to give up something? And at the time, it didn't feel good. At the time, you didn't think that you could live without it or without them. But when they walked out, when you had to separate yourself, and now that you look back over your life, you can declare that you are better off today than you were at that actual moment. Again, you don't have to raise your hand, but would you at least nod your head? If some of you know what I'm talking about. Great, 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 great. Okay. And so, so you begin to realize, you begin to understand that God will replace it with more than you gave up. Again, if you don't believe me, I'm just a big believer. I always like to go back to the Bible. Think about Job. The Bible said Job was a very rich man, lost everything that he had. But because he was so obedient to God and had so much faith in God, when it was all said and done, not only did God give it back to him, but he had more on the backside of things than he actually did on the front from a monetary aspect. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. 
That could be good health. That could be a better marriage, better relationship, whatever the case may be. But again, my question to you tonight, are you willing to put it on the altar, not for Brian, not for Longview Point, but are you willing to put it on the altar for Jesus Christ? And so the reason why many of us, and you have to be careful, you have to be careful now, this sounds good what I'm saying, but many people are not able to do this. And here's the reason why a lot of people are not able to do what I am talking about tonight, because many people have brought into Christianity, but they have not sold out for Christianity. You can't do what I'm talking about tonight. You can't separate yourself from the things that you don't think you can live without and truly trust God for the plans that he has for your life if you have not sold out. It's not enough to just buy into this thing that we call Christianity, but you have to be sold out. No, you may not be able to see what the end is going to look like and how God is going to work it out, but you have enough faith in God to know that God will work it out. And when you get on the other side, when you get on the other side of the test and you're coming out of the storm, then guess what? Your test now becomes your testimony. But that only happens when you get on the other side. That only happens because you made up in your mind you are sold out. And so not only did Abraham make a great sacrifice, not only did Abraham, was he a great saint, but also notice here in these two verses that Abraham had a great son. Had a great son. He had a great son. Now, let's talk about that for a few moments, and I'm going to show you why that's very significant in the text tonight. Notice in the text, Isaac did not rebel. If you keep reading and you go on down through the scriptures, you'll find out after he told him, come on, and I'm paraphrasing, come on, son, let's go. And then if you keep reading, Isaac begins to ask his father a series of questions. And we'll get into that in just a few moments. But Isaac did not rebel. By this time, and I told you this in the earlier part of the lesson, Isaac is a young man. Now, I want you to think about this. He's a young man. He's not a little boy. He's a young man. Here is Abraham, a old man. Isaac is a young man. Notice here in the text. Isaac could have easily gotten away from Abraham. He could have easily overtaken him and said, no, you're not about to sacrifice me. Abraham's too old. He couldn't handle a young man like that. But notice Isaac never rebelled. Notice Isaac never said, no, I am not going to do this, even though he could have done that and he could have overpowered Abraham. But notice in the text, he did not do that. Isaac Yet, and I want you to think about this, who he puts you in the mind of when I say this. Isaac here in the text, he carries the wood that will take his life. Who does that put you in the mindset of? Okay, y'all write some. Don't, you don't have to be low about it. There you go. He, he's actually carrying the wood that is going to take his life. He carries the burden that he will actually die on. And Isaac, he tells his father, he, or he says to his father, I see the wood for the fire. But here's the question that he asks. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 
Everything else that I see that it takes for, uh, for one to perform and carry out such an act, all the ingredients are there except one thing, the offering. Where is this offering? And if you continue to read in the text, you notice Abraham said, and he had the nerve to say, God will provide. He said, God will provide. And brothers and sisters, when you can't see your way, when you can't see your way out, and you don't even have an answer to your dilemma, or you don't even know how things are going to turn out in your life, always remember that this is only a test. Always remember that God will provide. I can't stand here tonight and tell you that I know what he's going to actually do. I can't tell him I I know what he's going to do in your life and how he's going to work your situation out because I don't even know how he's going to work my situation out. But I am confident because I've been walking with him long enough, just as many of you have tonight. I am confident, I can say it with confidence, that I know that God will provide. I know that he will work it out. And when he works it out, if you're like myself, and I think about the times and situations where God has showed up and he's worked things out, and he did it far better than I could ever expect. And when you think about your situation and the things and the way that you've been tested and pulled and tugged on and stretched and everything, you had one idea, one concept of how it might turn out or how it should look at uh, look like. But if you're like myself, I am glad that there are a lot of things in my life did not turn out the way that I thought it should have. I'm glad that God had to put me in check and put me in my place and said, you don't know everything. Just stand back, stay in your lane, and let me do what I do best. And so when we, when we look there, when we think about that, and you think about the text, Abraham, he's ready, uh, he's, he's ready to kill his son. But God sees his faith. He gets ready, and if you think about the text, you think about the scripture, if you remember now, and also to continue to show you how great a faith that Abraham had, if you continue to read the text, when Abraham and his son and the men got to the foot of the mountain, notice if you remember what you've read or if you get a chance and you go home and read it tonight, you'll find out. Abraham told the men, you guys stay down here. We're going up. But also notice what he says in the text. We will return. Knowing that God had already given him an assignment to go ahead and sacrifice his son. But he tells the men at the bottom of the mountain, you guys stay here. We are going up and we will return. He didn't say, I am going to return, but we are going to return. And yet, he still continues to demonstrate the faith that he has in God. Even through his test, even though it's uncomfortable, he knows what God has asked him to do. Again, can you say that tonight? Whatever it is that you're going through or that you're about to go through or that you will go through, will you be able to look at me later on? And even though it may be uncomfortable, but can you look at me and say, I will be all right. I don't know how it's going to pan out, but I am going to be all right because Christ is the one that makes the difference. And so he's ready to kill his son. The Lord continues to see his faith. The test of God isn't just uh, 
to prove Abraham, but Abraham is to prove God. But notice here in the text also that God cannot demonstrate his faithfulness until you and I exercise our faith. We always want God to come through. We always want God to do his part. And we even have the nerve to get mad and get upset with God when God does not do his part. But here's my question to you tonight. You want God, and I want God to exercise his faithfulness, but have we truly exercised our faith? It doesn't matter what somebody else tells you. Other people can come in and they can tell you how bad it may look, how dark and gloomy the situation may look. But have you truly exercised your faith if you want God to exercise his faithfulness? And you've got to wrap your mind around that if you want him to exercise his faithfulness. And Lord knows I want him to exercise his faithfulness. But God requires me and he wants and he wants to see me exercise my faith. And so, as I get ready to close here, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. Two things very briefly, and I promise I'm going to sit down and I'm going to let you go. But they're at the bottom of the mountain. They're getting ready to go up to the mountaintop, to this place where God has requested Abraham to offer up his son. Now, I want you to think about it. You have one side of the mountain here, and you have the other side of the mountain here. And there at the middle is where everything is about to take place. Now, as they are going up the mountaintop, on one side of the mountain, you have pain on one side of the mountain. On the other side of the mountain, you have provision. On the other side of the mountain, you have heartaches. But on the other side of the mountain, you have healing. On the other side of the mountain, there's grief. But on the other side of the mountain, there's glory. On the other side of the mountain, there's sorrow. But on the other side of the mountain, there's salvation. On the other side of the mountain, as you go up, there's death. But on the other side, there's delight. On the other side of the mountain, there's dread. But then on the other side of the mountain, there's delight. I'm going somewhere with this. On the other side of the mountain, there's brokenness going as you go up. But on the other side, there's blessedness. And you may ask, why is all of that important? And Brother Hood, you said all of these things, and I couldn't even write it down really fast. And that's okay. But all of these things that I just named, you had some things on one side of the mountain as you go up. And you had other things on the other side of the mountain. Here's why this is so significant. It's because when the two meet each other, that is where God will provide. Again, you're going up the side of your mountain. I know we're talking about Abraham tonight, but I want you to think about your mountain tonight. As you're going up your mountain and you're going through your test, there may be somebody here tonight that is dealing with pain. But again, I want you to understand there's provision on the other side. There may be somebody here tonight that's dealing with heartache, but there's healing on the other side. There may be somebody here that's dealing with grief, but on the other side, there is glory. You may be dealing with sorrow tonight, but there is salvation on the other side. You may even be dealing with death, but there is delight on the other side. 
You may be dealing with brokenness. And there's blessedness on the other side. And when you get to the top, that's where God will meet you at. And that is where God will provide. And so you have to understand, you have to realize you must come up on your side or God will not come up on his side. You got to come up on your side. No matter how uncomfortable it is. And again, Abraham is showing us here tonight. We have no excuse. We can't talk about how rough, how hard. We can't say any of those things truthfully. Abraham, if he was here tonight, he would laugh in your face and in my face. You've got a headache tonight. And you want to talk about how bad your head hurts. And don't get me wrong, it may be hurting. But Abraham would laugh at you and I. You're talking about how bad your head is. And, man, I just had to go up to the mountaintop, and the Lord has requested me to sacrifice my son. And, again, God provided because Abraham came up his side, and as a result of him coming up his side, God came up the other side. Here's the last thing, and I will be done. So Abraham made a great sacrifice. Abraham was a great saint. Abraham had a great son. But the last thing I want you to notice here in tonight's text, Abraham's lamb was a great substitute. It was a great substitute. Now, I want you to notice in the text that the lamb only showed up when Abraham really needed it. Again, why is that so significant? Brothers and sisters, there will be times in your life and in my life as we are being tested or going through a test or about to go through a test, there will be times in our life where God will not show up until there's not anything that we can do for ourselves or anybody can help us get out of. And so he needed it, and when he really needed it, that's when the lamb showed up. It was a great substitute. And here's the reason. He was ready to go ahead and kill his son and do it because God told him to. And yet, because God seen his faithfulness, God would not allow him to do this. Now, here's my question to you. Have you ever wondered why God wouldn't allow him to do this? Besides the obvious? Have you ever wondered why God stopped him from doing this? And I know we, the first thing that we will say is because God seen how faithful he was. True. That is part of it, but it goes a little bit deeper than that. And I challenge you to go back, and I challenge you when you get a chance, reread the text where you can actually see God in this text. Something that Abraham was getting ready to do, but God would not allow him to give his only son. Think about what I'm saying tonight. He would not allow him to do on Mount Moriah what God was going to have done on Mount Calvary. He wasn't going to allow Abraham to give his only son on Mount Moriah because God later on, much later on, had a plan at Mount Calvary. God would not allow him to give up the only son because God's plans was to give up his only son. And I'm thankful for that tonight. I am very thankful for that tonight, that Abraham trusted him, but I'm glad that God would not let him do 
what he was going to do much later on. This is only a test. This is only a test. Please wrap your mind around that concept. Always remember that. No matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're going through, this is only a test. Are there any questions or comments or do anybody need me to repeat anything? Wow. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Amen. Amen. While we're trying, while we're worrying about it, God has already got it figured out. He already has it figured out. Yes, ma'am. Do I think? I'm sorry. It's, uh, yes, he did. He, he, because he, this is not the first time that he had been around his dad as far as when it come down to the procedures of uh, when it sacrifices and all the things that's involved in doing that. And so, yes, he knew it was going to happen. But the thing about Isaac, he trusted his father enough to know that Abraham knew what he was doing. And in turn, he trusted and willing to follow Abraham as Abraham followed Christ. And that's the thing you always have to remember, that when we follow each other, it's not so much that we are following one another, but if you're following your husband or if you're following your pastor or you're following your wife or whoever, you're following them as they are following Christ. I may not know everything or see how it's all going to pan out, but I know they have such a great relationship with God, and as they follow God, I'm willing to step out on that limb. Anybody else? So hopefully, hopefully we were able to take a lot of meat and put on that uh, shell of a skeleton tonight. If not, please see me after class tonight. Thank you guys so much once again for being so great, and I pray that there was something said tonight and some great nuggets that you were able to catch and that you will be able uh, to live by. God bless you tonight. God keep you.